I mean, if you only listen to one episode, I think this is going to be it right here. I mean, we're, you're going to listen to all of them, right? But if you only listen to one, this would be it because uh, giving testimony is one of the most important parts of the Christian life. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back. This is a new fancy podcast brought to you with Ascension Press. Every knee shall bow. We are here every week giving you practical tips, theology, you know, explanation, all this stuff on how to actually evangelize as a Catholic, how to not just live your faith, but give your faith away. As the great St. Pope John Paul II said, uh, the only way we can truly live our faith is by giving it to others. So let's start off with introductions. We're still new here. My name is Michael Gormley, coordinate evangelization at a large Southern parish in Houston, Texas, big old, big old suburban parish of 7,000 families. And I also run layevangelist.com and do a whole bunch of side ministry stuff, speaking events, prison ministry. And so that's where I kind of get my background from. What about you, Dave? Yeah, I'm Dave Van Vickle. I'm up here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm the director of evangelization for two Catholic parishes here. I also do a lot of speaking and get to travel all over telling people about God's love. And I'm always crazy here at home with five five kids and my awesome wife. So happy to be here. Hey, here's a funny thing about being a speaker. I always forget to talk about my family. And then I hang out with speakers who are like, I am married to the most beautiful woman in the world. And I'm like, I, I just did my bio and I didn't even say them. <laughs> I get in trouble with that all the time. All the time. You should. Yeah, I know, right? Before we dive into the, uh, the show today, um, I just want to say we want to hear from you. So email us your questions, your feedback, your stories, whatever, at every knee shall bow at ascensionpress.com. Now, that's bow, not bend. I think that's important. You know, everyone, everyone has corrected us and saying, uh, you bow your head, you bend your knee. And I was like, all right, and even the funny thing is every knee shall bow is kind of like shall bow. It's kind of hard to say than bend, but I still like bow. So, okay, so today what we're going to do is talk to you about the central importance of testimony. We're going to talk about why it's important. We're going to give you practical tips on how to actually do it, and then we're going to do it for you. This is a way for you as an audience member to find out a little bit more about us, more than just our silly little two-second intro at the beginning, but also to demonstrate it in a very practical way. Because you know us, we're all about practicality here on Every Knee Shall Bow. <laughs> yeah, this is an op awesome episode because it is one of, I mean, if you only listen to one episode, I think this is going to be it right here. I mean, we're, you're going to listen to all of them, right? But if you only listen to one, this would be it because uh, giving testimony is one of the most important parts of the Christian life. You know, it's not something we can kind of get away from what do we mean when we say give your testimony? What we're talking about is your journey with God, your lived relationship with Jesus and how that started, what you were like before, what you're like now. Uh, you know, in scripture, it says that we should always be prepared. First Peter says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Uh, that sounds like a pretty serious rule right there that we need to always be ready for this, that when we encounter people, we should be ready to give testimony to what God has done in our life. It's really important because what we're really talking about in a testimony is how much we surrendered to God in our life and how God really pursued us, came after us, romanced us. And that story of him in a relentless pursuit of our souls of when we finally surrendered to him. Uh, and, and I do want to say one of the things that 
struck me about how you were doing ministry up in your parish was you had me and you were talking about things because we have roughly the same job and right uh, in different parts of the country. And you said, I want to have an army of people who know how to give their testimony and who can do it at every major and minor event and class that we have that saying what God has done in my life becomes normal because part of the problem is there is this culture of silence where no one in the Catholic church is talking about what is God doing in my life now? What has God done? And so what we need to do is before we can, you know, transform our congregation, bring about renewal and all these things that uh, books promises can happen overnight. What we want to do is we want to, we need to model the type of faith we want to see. And so the idea of having people share their testimony, be like, yeah, I, I'm a, you know, a dad, I've got a bunch of kids, a mortgage, blah, blah, blah. Here's this guy. And he has a relationship with God that changed his life. I can too. It becomes a, an on-ramp, especially the more people you get. And when you told me that, I was like, yes, that is awesome. That is awesome. You know, I want to have like categories, you know, so that I could always call on different age groups, different, you know, socioeconomic, it's it just all that kind of stuff so that you're speaking to a peer group about what God has done in your life because yeah. it's it's really easy. First of all, testimonies are so important because you're telling the story of what God's done in your life and it's hard to refute something like that, right? It's it's just a, it's just what it is. But second of all, uh, you have to be careful because people can always say like, well, that's for him because he was in this situation. Right. So right. your testimony is going to appeal to some people. My testimony is going to appeal to some people. I always get the... Uh, you know, people who say like, oh man, your testimony is so amazing. I feel like mine's, mine's not, you know, not that exciting. And I always feel like saying like, no way, you know, that has nothing to do with it. The story is about God's pursuit of your soul. That's what's exciting. Uh, I always find that parishioners or staff members are intimidated to share their story because we've all heard the sensational testimony, you know, right. The, the drug addict, right. the rehab, you know, like all this stuff, right. you know. And we'll prison. talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. But then, and then they're like, well, I've always liked being Catholic. Right. right. <laughs> I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school my whole life. I married a Catholic and now I'm raising my kids Catholic. Not too crazy. And I was like, okay, there, there's still gold there because most of the people haven't been in jail that are going to listen right. to us in a Catholic parish or in a school setting or wherever you happen to be. The reality is. People have ordinary yeah, stories, right? And you need to find, you need to work with them to see the extraordinary movement of divine grace in the ordinary time, right? And and to and to get them to realize that the exciting part of the story has nothing to do with the depravity that you came from. The exciting part of the story <laughs> is that the God of the universe is head over heels in love with you and is coming after you, right? Is pursuing. Yeah, you. it's not about the sensationalness of your sin. It's about the 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 overwhelmingness of God's grace in your life. Yeah. So I want to, I want to give out like some principles and then take some actual practical steps to like writing a testimony. But number one is to remember first off the bat is that the testimony is not yours. You don't own it. It's not yours. It's God's story of what he's done in his life. And the reason I say that is because I don't know if you run into this Gomer, but so many people uh, it, it it commonly comes up that people are like, oh no, I'm not going to, I don't want to talk about that. I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't want to be prideful or something like that. Right. And that's not what this is about. You know, you have to recognize that we're called to give testimony and, and we can't, we have to answer that call and remember that our testimony is not ours. We don't own it to be able to keep it to ourselves. 
God, it's God's story of what he's done in our life. So just, just knowing that principle off the bat, uh, kind of puts us in the right position with being ready to share it, uh, to realize it. It's not our thing. It's not something that even really we're molding or changing. It's, it's telling the story of what God has done. Number two, and, and we kind of talked about this before, being specific about the amount or gravity of sin does not usually add to your testimony. I, I really, I mean, saying something about what you were like before becoming a follower of Jesus is is necessary, but the amount or gravity or how graphic you are about what you were like before, it doesn't usually add to the testimony. Right. And in fact, when people have a sensational testimony, Almost 90% of it is a glorification of the sin. And then the last 10% is, and then I met the Lord and I changed. And it gives this such an unrealistic pull to it. Whereas in reality, you might have had an extraordinary experience of grace, but it took you at least a couple weeks of working through the implications. But when you're giving a testimony, everything's so compressed. It seems like, well, I was an axe murderer. Then I met Jesus. But this whole part, you always, 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 always have to be careful not to glorify the sin. Right. So so number three, I, I just wrote, you know, your testimony is about God's pursuit and your cooperation and surrender. And to remember that he plays the primary role and you play the secondary role. Uh, that's what this story is all about, right? That you want to remember there's, there's the, he's the star of the show, right? That we're trying to, uh, showcase what God has done, not necessarily showcase what we did to follow him or something like that. Because, you know, it's a common mistake for Catholics to think that we are the impetus in our relationship with God, right? Like, well, I got to do this. I got to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to come to him. I'm going to come back to him. It's really God's constant pursuit of us that we're telling the story of and our surrender uh, to that pursuit. Yeah, right. And that's straight out of St. John, the first letter of St. John, where he said, beloved, it's not that we love God, but rather that God loved us first, right? And that always keep that emphasis. You didn't create you, God did, right? right. So it's just known that God is always the one taking the first step. Right, and he didn't need us, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, number four, and this is, I'm going to kind of end this, at least the principles part with this one, and Gomer, you can add in some things if you want. Uh, but this one is just a caution for those of you who maybe have never worked on a testimony before. Writing a testimony can be a little bit like an examination of conscience, right? Because if you're telling the story of what God's done in your life, and a lot of you might think like, oh, he's done so much and so different. And then you look at the concrete things that have actually changed. A lot of people in these classes that I'll teach about giving your testimony will say, well, gosh, I I don't feel like I've changed all that much other than that I believe in him. You know, I had an experience of his love and I believe in him. And it's important to realize that there may be a part of this that calls to repentance. Even the act of writing a testimony can call you to repentance, you know, and 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 trust me, I rewrite mine all the time. And I think about those things, you know, uh, what I was like before I, I, you know, made Jesus the Lord and center of my life and how much I've changed. And if there's not a lot of change there, it is kind of like an examination of conscience. And I think, gosh, maybe I haven't let God deep enough into that part of my life. So that's kind of one of the important parts about what you mentioned, Gomer, is that we're talking about sin so much, right? It doesn't matter how great of a sinner you were. Once you've been converted, once you are in a relationship with Jesus, it pales in comparison to how far God can take you, you know, in a positive way. And like that story is going to be the long, great story 
that we tell each other in heaven, right? You know, and we're all rejoicing for eternity. Absolutely. And the big thing that I keep running into is people who create a testimony where they think they're done. Right. Right. Or it, or it gives the vibe that I'm right. done. Such a so mistake. then I encounter Christ. I got off the drugs. I'm done. And that's why even writing your testimony should be an act of repentance and, and maybe a trip to the confessional <laughs> because it does yeah. stir these things within you. If you find you're not growing, you're stagnant. And that's, that's rarely a good thing. I would say it's never a good thing. Right, right. So let's uh, talk about some practical steps about how to actually uh, put together a testimony, how to write it, you know, and how to how to be able to prepare it and kind of shave it down and deliver it. Uh, I always like to look at it as starting real broad and going down to the specific. Uh, and so the, the reason I do that is because what happens over time is we've seen like, you know, if we tell somebody, hey, you should write a five minute testimony, it changes every time they give it, which is okay, that's fine. But a lot of times it's changing because they didn't think about it enough the first time. So I like to tell people to take a long time. And what I ask them to do usually is like, you know, from St. Ignatius is write a spiritual autobiography of everything God has done in your life. Everything. Do, you know, just pour, get a notebook and fill it up completely, you know, and obviously that's going to start with God created me, right? I was born into a family, you know, all these kinds of things. And, and continue on up until present day so that you get it all out there kind of. You're kind of getting it all out there on paper. Uh, so I like to tell people to write that long spiritual autobiography. Then I, I ask people to ask themselves a few questions here, okay? The first question is this. I want you to write down just words or sentences that would describe you before you had your, quote, conversion, okay? And now... Uh, that's a tricky thing to say, especially for Catholics, because not everyone has had a conversion experience, and that doesn't mean they're not converted, right, Gomer? Yeah. Right. So you can explain it a few different ways. It, you know, for some people, your conversion could be like an explosion, and for some people, it's just a long, smoldering flame that just slowly burns and grows and burns and grows. So just because you haven't had a moment that was emotional and crazy and all that and wild doesn't mean you haven't had a conversion, okay? So what, I, what I'm asking you to do is write down some words, maybe some sentences that would describe you before you became a, a true intentional follower of Jesus Christ, okay? And, and what you're going to ask yourself are, uh, did you have like a life philosophy that you lived by? What were the principles you used to govern your life? Uh, did you have, you know, some kind of unsatisfied inner need? What were those unsatisfied inner needs uh, that you felt like, you know, needed to be fulfilled? Just, just write them down. That's all. Just write who you were. And again, this can be hard because for some of us, we, we don't like who we were before uh, our relationship with the Lord. You know, the, the second question I'd ask is, how would you just in a one to three sentences describe your identity before becoming a, like an intentional disciple or serious follower of Jesus? How would you describe your identity? And this, this is important because it gets down to what the end game is. What is the end game after a conversion, right? If that's what we're looking for, what do we want that person to be? Identity is kind of getting at the root of the question here. Number three, we're actually focusing on, you know, that what made that conversion possible. So what was it that made you become a serious about following Jesus? Was it a moment? Was it a time period? Was it a speaker? Was it a book? What is it? A scripture verse you heard, a picture, a painting, an experience you had. And I want you to be pretty broad about this because 
well, for me, I can point to one weekend of my life going you know, to a conference and that being my conversion. There was a lot more to it than that. And it really it was like a three-year period that was going on. And for a lot of people, I think it's a time period. Was it a relationship? Was it someone you were talking to often? Right. Exactly. Number four, the converse of the other question. How would you describe yourself immediately after? If it was if it was an event, how would you describe yourself immediately after? What were the things going through your head? What were the the freedoms that you were experiencing? What were those things that uh, you know changed inside of you? And and what would you describe your identity as at that moment? Five. Now, how different are you now? Write down you know somewhere between five words, five and ten words or sentences that describe you now as opposed to then. And I want you to go back and look at those things that you used to describe yourself before you had a relationship with the Lord and look at what it's like in your life now with specific to those things. Uh, number six, I would say, are there any scriptures or quotes or stories that had particular meaning to you during your conversion process during this time or that have meant something to you since that time? Because a lot of times I think uh, when you're giving your testimony just for presentation sake, it really helps to leave somebody with a scripture, a quote, uh, because oftentimes they kind of hold on to that and they remember, you know, kind of that sums up your story. Uh, and then uh, what we're going to do after that is once we've done all these kind of this exercise, we're going to start to put it together. And I'd say you're going to want to put it together into what I'd call a 20 minute testimony. OK, and what's important to understand is it's a lot easier to give a 20 minute testimony than it is to give a five minute testimony. It sure is. It sure is. Being sure brief is, is so rough. difficult. <laughs> it's rough. Absolutely. Absolutely. So once you've done that, I think once you've gone from the 20 to the 20 minute testimony and you've given it and you can give it, you know, maybe in the mirror or something like that, or maybe even to a friend, it's time to start shaving it down. What are the basic principles that are in this story? What was I like before? What happened that made me convert? What was my relationship with like with Jesus immediately after? And what's it like now? Uh, we can get that down to five minutes. And it's difficult, but you can do that, right? And and what you're going to want to do is spend, you know, a little bit of time talking about what it was like before, uh, a good amount of time talking about what brought you to conversion, right? Because this could be, you know, the answer to someone's prayer. And then a good amount of time talking about the changes that, you know, a relationship with Jesus made in your life. What, what was the conversion? What was the change that happened in your life specifically? Uh, because you never know what's going to resonate with different people who hear you never your know. testimony. You never know. I, I only have pretty much two points that I would add to kind of compliment and touch on some of the stuff you said. Number one, don't lie. <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you how many times. People don't think their testimony is right. spicy oh, enough, gosh, cool gosh. enough, interesting enough. Yeah, <laughs> don't lie. Don't exaggerate. And at the end, right. leave it open-ended because you don't want people to think you're a finished project. You're a finished uh, – you know, look at how perfect you are and your life is all together. Right. Generally speaking, though, just saying, and you know what? I'm not perfect is not – that's like, a, that's like a too easy, too low-hanging right. fruit to kind of wrap up a thing. But you do need to let people know that you don't consider yourself a final product, right? You are because what's going to happen is they're going to see you right. in your sinfulness, losing your temper, whatever, and they're going to be like, "Oh, I thought Captain Christian over here, and he let out an f bomb when he slammed his hand in the door." And you know, so the idea is you are pointing to God right. and the new trajectory right. of right. your life, not the finished 
state. Absolutely. So I want to I want to model this for you. I want to model this for you and just do. The- Dave, I would love for you <laughs> to be a model for all of us today. Just like the most brief sense, okay? Uh, so I'm gonna give to you my personal testimony, okay? And wh- what I'd ask is that uh, you know you while you're while you're listening to this, kind of listen for the elements that I tried to incorporate when we were talking about how to put it together. So as you know, my name is Dave. That's how I always started out because it's so easy to have that one phrase that you start out with. Uh, and I grew up in Dallas, Texas. I, I was the youngest of 10 children. So I have a big family. Uh, my family was very overtly Christian, very overtly, uh, even Catholic, right? Um, and, you know, growing up uh, as the youngest of 10, I always felt very loved and, you know, very, very adored growing up. I mean, that's kind of the way it was. Uh, you mean spoiled? Go yeah, on. Spoiled. Exactly. That's the word. Uh, and but I would say that, you know, when when life starts to get serious, like when you start, you know, getting into junior high and you start asking yourself the bigger questions, the biggest question that was in my mind was who who was who was I? You know, the, I just didn't know who I really was and what I was supposed to be. And I I desperately wanted to have an identity just desperately wanted to have an identity. And I didn't feel like I had one at all. You know, I felt very much like everyone else was this guy or that guy, the funny guy, the cool guy, this guy, the athletic guy, this, you know, what was I going to be? And it just, just seemed so empty inside of me. And I had really no identity at at the same time. Uh, you know, uh, I was struggling with the Catholic faith, uh, you know, and wondering whether or not I should even be a part of the faith. I had chances often to go to, you know, a local mega church and it was like so awesome and, and everything. And, you know, the Catholic church seemed so boring and all that. And, uh, I, I was really in a, in a kind of a situation of struggle. I wasn't at any way, uh, against the faith or against God, uh, I wasn't like, you know, one of these big centers, like an international drug dealer or something like that. In fact, most people, if you'd ask them about me at that time, they probably would have said, oh, he's a great kid, you know, but inside I just had nothing to hold on to. You know, there was nothing uh, that I knew this is who I am. And it reflected in my moral life. You know, I was unable to to really save myself. And that's what I wanted, you know. So uh, in between eighth grade and my freshman year of high school, my parents made me go to a Franciscan University of Steubenville Youth Conference, a Steubenville conference, which I'm sure many of the people listening have been to one or, or another. And, you know, at that time, to be honest with you, I, I wanted nothing to do with like a super intense Christianity. It wasn't even on my radar at that time. If you had asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up, I would have said I want to be the heavyweight champion of the Ultimate Fighting Championship, right? That was my dream. <laughs> and uh, and that's that's all I kind of thought about, really. Um, but that weekend was the first time I ever heard the gospel preached in a compelling way. Uh, at least the first time I ever actually heard it, it was a grace filled weekend. And on Saturday evening, you know, you've all, if you've, if you've been to a student conference, you know what that's like. Uh, I was rocked by God, you know, I was watching, you know, what was going on and, and those, those Saturday evenings, you know, like, uh, they have awesome speakers like Gomer, they have amazing music. Uh, they have, it's, you know, everyone's there worshiping the Lord together. It's, it can be very emotional. People are crying, giving their lives to the Lord. And it was something that I was afraid of, right? Because I kind of thought if you gave your life to the Lord, you would become possessed by the Holy spirit. You know, you'd possessed by God. It wouldn't be you anymore. But that night, uh, a nun spoke to me and she said, look, all you have to do, just say, yes, what God loves you. Why are you worried about saying yes? And I remember in my mind thinking, God, you know, I think you're real. I'm not dumb enough to think that this all came out of nowhere. Somebody created all this. 
I never dreamed you'd care about what I did with my life. But if you're, you know, sending people after me to come get me like this nun, then I guess I should say yes. And when I said yes, I immediately looked at Jesus in the Eucharist and the monstrance on the stage. And I knew for the first time in my life that he was real, that that was real. And it was like, I had an encounter with Jesus Christ. I, I just, you know, it just wept because I felt like I was drowning in God's love. And for the first time in my life, I knew that the only identity that mattered, the, the identity that I truly had was that I was a son of God, that I had a father in heaven. And it changed everything for me. At that moment, you know, I, I knew who I was. I knew what my motivations in life were. I knew where I wanted to be. And I knew that I had a lot, a long way to go. It was like when I met Jesus, I knew like this guy's dangerous, right? He doesn't just love me for who I am. He loves me too much for me to stay the way I am. He wants to change me. He wants me to, you know, follow him. And I knew that I'd be caught up on this adventure. And to this day, I feel like I'm caught on that adventure where God is constantly calling me to deeper and deeper depths. And, and the more I follow him, the more I realize, you know, I, I need, I have more to go and more to learn and more to accomplish. But I, I know immediately after that conversion, you know, the scripture verse that, that we are, are truly sons and daughters of God from John. For so we are, you know, those words that we are truly sons and daughters of God was such an important thing for me because I knew I didn't have to be the funny guy, the tough guy. I didn't have to be any of those things because I was a son. And that sonship is what, you know, governed my life up until now and, and even continuing on that I'm continually trying to enter in to God's sonship. Man, that was so uh, open-ended at the end. <laughs> <laughs> you left people knowing that you're still a work in progress well done see so it is not impossible to give a testimony that took what like four minutes yeah maybe six uh but as you go through it you got a sweeping sense of dave's life some struggles that dave had without being graphic and the idea of not being graphic you know what it helps people do helps them project their struggle onto that man right so dave's saying you know i had these things in my past blah 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 and the more in-depth, you have to gauge your audience in, like, what you're going to share. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, I'm going to share with you a little bit about how to structure and give a testimony, deliver a testimony within the context of other teachings. Okay? So I'm going to come at it from this institutional perspective. So what Dave did, you can share that on a plane. You can share that on a bus trip. You can share that, you know. And pretty much anywhere, formally, in front of a classroom or whatever. What I'm going to do is, for those of you who are giving a talk, a homily, teaching a class, um, doing something in a little bit more formal setting, I'm going to show you how to weave it through your catechesis or, or whatever you're going to talk about. So that is right when we come back to Every Knee Shall Back. And if you're looking for a way to learn more about your Catholic faith, I invite you to check out the Ascension Presents YouTube channel. You're going to find tons of free videos featuring Catholic presenters like Matt Frad, Leah Darrow, Jackie and Bobby Angel, and Emily Wilson. Go to youtube.com slash Ascension Presents. That's youtube.com slash Ascension Presents. And if you like what you see, please share and subscribe. And we're back. I got a quick reminder for y'all to rate and review us in iTunes. Please, please, please. iTunes is the central repository of all things podcastery. And so you go on iTunes and you write a review. 
the the magical algorithms will send people uh will recommend it and all that stuff helps people get a sense of what they can expect if they've listened to it so if we benefited you five stars write a review let's be awesome together so <laughs> so i often uh I, I give my testimony when i'm you know on an airplane and all that stuff but for me what my job is is working with adults and i intentionally you know the good lord has put on my heart love it when people say christianese stuff like that the good lord's put on my heart to work with people who don't have faith but want to who are struggling with their faith this method was originally taught to me by a man named andy stanley he's an evangelical pastor out in uh the atlanta area and i used to be really big into a lot of the ways that he was teaching a lot of his topics i really liked what he was doing and then I read his book called uh, Communicating for a Change, and I really liked what he had to say, but I realized that his method is what was pulling me into his, um, his approach. I, we, God, you, we. But I want to do is use Dave's principles to weave it into the talk using this I, we, God, you, we model. Now, what this means is um, when you're giving a talk and you have this five-part structure, the I part is the testimony. So you want to establish with that I your credibility on the subject. Now, this can be something you struggled with but overcame. This can be something you've studied, a loved one who suffered, a story you know, whatever it is. But the I part is not just about getting talking points. It helps to set up the talk, but it helps the listener relate to you. People don't realize this, but in most teacher-student relationships— it is an adversarial one, especially today in age in today's you know society where people are, tend to be more skeptical, um, even unconsciously so. That the teacher student relationship is often one where the student is defensive until they and we use this line a lot have earned the right to be heard. The teacher needs to earn the right to be heard. So Saint Paul the the sixth Pope Paul the sixth wrote in his encyclical on evangelization. Uh, Evangeli Nuziandi, he said this wonderful phrase, modern man listens more readily to witnesses than to teachers. And if he listens to teachers, it is because they are first witnesses. And so we need to understand that when we weave our talks, you got, let's say you have your, you know, your, your three main points, your sub points for the topic itself, the catechesis you're going to deliver, whatever. What you want to do is slide that out into this perspective of how does how can I build a bridge personally from my life to theirs? So the rule is, if you don't know the crowd, you spend more on the I part. So let's say you're giving three talks. On day one of these three talks, I will talk a lot about myself. I'll give my testimony as it relates to the topic at hand. By day two, it's a lot shorter. By day three, it's a few sentences. That way it puts them at ease. It lets them know who you are to the point where they can be open to listen. Now, the I-we transition, the we is the topic you're going to discuss, but you come at it from the problem we together are all facing. So it's still testimony, but now you're drawing them into the problem. Have you ever noticed how, have you ever, I don't know about you, but in my own life, when I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z, has that ever happened to you? I think it happens to all of us when we struggle with anxiety. We're keeping up with the Joneses. You know, you build these relational phrases and components in so that people are drawn into the problem that God is going to solve, 
right? And so you can start off talking about sin that you got caught up in, you can't get free of, you know, you can get, give your straight testimony, you can hit it in all these different ways. So I, we, and then the next part is God. What do we talk about when we talk about God? We talk about specifically how either scripture, church teaching, life of a saint, whatever, that God's answer to that problem is the answer for everyone in the room because this is how it answered it for you and can be an answer for them. And then the next part is you. This is the thing that I think a lot of people get really uncomfortable on. This is what makes a sermon amazing, right? A talk amazing is you are directly addressing you singular. So when I write out my talk, so often be like, you know, sometimes people, and it's like, no, not people, it's you. Take away the weasel words from your talk and address your audience. People want to know that you're talking to them. So when I weave my testimony throughout a, a, a talk that I'm going to give, front load it with a backstory about me, you know, as it relates to the problem, bring up the problem, show how both I and everyone in humanity, because of the fall, we all struggle with it, show how God's the solution to it for me and for you, and then hit the you. This, this is what you need to do. And when you do that, now you've shifted completely out of testimony. Okay, you don't want to do testimony at this point because the emphasis needs to be, they need to know this is where it's painfully practical for them. It reminds me of Jesus doing the Beatitudes and he says, blessed are the, those persecuted for the kingdom of heaven for yeah, the kingdom of heaven shall be theirs. And then he pivots and say, blessed are you when men revile you, persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely. And you're like, whoa, whoa, I thought we were talking about a metaphorical third party here, Jesus, right? And then he turns it, blessed are you. Right. And so that's that's that hinge moment where the wonderful solution that God brings gets applied to your life. You, 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 you. And then it ends with the we again. But it's the we idealized. It's the we. What could life be like if we actually did this? And this is how you can weave your testimony back in, because you shouldn't be giving a talk on pornography if you are still completely overwhelmed with it. Right. If you haven't found even a, a, a growing sense of freedom in that area, you should not be giving a talk on pornography. Spiritually, that's not a strong place to be. So the idea is you're walking in the freedom and you're pointing to the path you've already walked on and you're telling them this could be true for you. I, we, God, you, we. That flow creates pivot points for the testimony to enter and then pull back so that God can be front and center. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I want to encourage you, right? As you, we, we went through a lot of content here, but it's so important. Write this stuff down, listen to this stuff, put it down on a piece of paper. I think maybe we'll, we'll get some resources out and put it in our show notes so that you can feel the flow and work this flow and understand that it is, this is something that you need to craft it is ever-changing, and it is meant to be a spiritual experience, first for you, especially in repentance and self-knowledge, but then it's meant to be given away so that God can be glorified. Boom. That's awesome. That was awesome. I'm, I'm like taking notes from your stuff right now. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's give them some practical takeaways, okay? Yeah, you do it, man. Yeah, I'm going to take it over. Okay, so uh, we talked about giving testimony today. We want to give you five practical takeaways here. The first one I want you to do is I want you to read Acts chapter 26, Acts chapter 26. Okay. It is, you know, I gave my testimony earlier in the show. Uh, how about the apostle Paul, right? You know, let's listen to him. 
He gives his testimony before King Agrippa about what God has done in his life. It's a perfect example of how to give a testimony. And in fact, it's what I base most of my class on when I tell people how to give a testimony, okay? So read Acts chapter 26 to see a real version from uh, from when the gospel was first being preached by, by Paul. Uh, number two, I want you to go ahead and take a couple days and start to write that spiritual autobiography, okay? Write everything that God has done in your life. And that means baptisms, first communions, maybe books that made a difference, songs that made a difference, relationships. Write down your spiritual autobiography. Now, I'm not expecting you to finish this in two days, but I am expecting you to get a good start on that and to start to write down the entire story of what God has done. Uh, trust me, you'll treasure this if you take uh, if you take time to do it. Uh, it's something that I look back on all the time. I, I, I did it in college and I, I look back on it all the time. Number three, I want you to go ahead and write down those things, those words or sentences, not more than that, words or sentences that described you before your conversion and write down those words or sentences that described you after. And I want you to limit it to five, five apiece, five before, before and five from after. Number four, I want you to write down the story. You're going to actually write it down, the story of when you gave your life to the Lord and the conversion that happened. What happened? You know, was it someone preaching? Was it a talk you heard? Was it a book you read? I want you to write down that story because that's the crux of your testimony right there. And then number five, I want you to try your best to put this all together in a 20-minute testimony, okay, in a 20-minute testimony. So take that all, and I want you to write it down so that you can deliver it in 20 minutes. I'm not even going to ask you to give it to anyone yet, so don't worry. This week is kind of private, but it's the prep work that we're going to need to do to be able to go out and evangelize. And again, this is going to be an ongoing process. We're going to come back to this episode over and over and over again because I change my testimony all the time. Gomer probably changes his all the time. We're constantly updating to, to make sure that uh, we can refine it down to so that it's God's story and it's precise about what he's done in our life. And this has been episode two of Every Knee Shall Bow. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. So you can shoot us an email at Bow at ascensionpress.com. 